0: Hello there, you are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, would you open your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You know, there's been a lot of exciting things that have happened in the last few weeks, but to me perhaps the most exciting thing that's happened is that in the, last, in the last three weeks, 10 people have said yes to following Jesus. And, and I'm sort of looking around the room this morning and, and I can see some of the people who said yes last weekend and some of the people who said yes the weekend before that. And can I encourage you that that, that to me is the most exciting thing about being part of church. That's the whole reason why we do church, right? It's because there's people who don't yet know the love and grace of God. That's the whole reason why we do it. And so, uh, and so to me, the most exciting thing that's happening right at this very minute is that there are people saying yes to Jesus. That should never be lost on us, right? When somebody lifts their hand or someone prays that prayer and accepts Christ, that should never be lost on us. That is, The Bible says that in that moment, all of heaven is rejoicing. They're yahooing. It's like they've just won the state of origin as a clean sweep. It's like, it's like right at that. It's like that, right? It's more than that. And so that's an incredibly exciting thing. But it's great to have you this morning in church as we conclude our series on worship. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at worship, looking at the purpose of our worship, at the power of our worship. And today we're looking at the passion of our worship. That the, One of my convictions for our church is that we ought to be a church that is passionate about the presence of God. That one of the things that defines who we are is that we are a church that is passionate about the presence of God. That that even before people sort of get out of their car, regardless of which day of the week it is, before their feet hit the bitumen in the car park, they'd say, man, there's something going on here and I don't know what it is. I I can't quite explain it. I I can't quite have got the vocabulary to be able to articulate what it is, but, but there's just... There's something happening here that I can't see, that we would be a church that is known as being passionate about the presence of God, which is why we value worship. And so this series on worship isn't about music. It isn't about us becoming contemporary. That's not the reason why we value worship. It isn't about cultural awareness. It isn't about presentation or production. It isn't about being cool, hip or with it. It isn't about misty-eyed intimacy with God. It isn't about religious ritual or ordinance. What is this passion about the presence of God and this value of worship? What does that mean to us? It's about the formation of grateful hearts in the presence of God. It's about becoming more aware of God than of ourselves, our circumstances, or anything else. It's about the shaping of disciples who know God through being with God. And about, it's about the transforming work that the Holy Spirit achieves when heartfelt and God-glorifying worship occurs. And so we've defined worship this way, that, that worship is a whole person experience. It's a whole person experience that's focused entirely on God, but that changes us. When we take a moment to pray, and then we're going to jump into this this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray today you'd help me to be able to preach it that God, we might leave this place different than when we arrived. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. It says, therefore, it's Paul writing. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love the way the New King James puts this, right? The exact same verse, but in the New King James puts it like this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That Paul says actually that, that, that in view of God's mercies, in view of all that God has done, then the most reasonable thing for us to do is to present our whole selves, but not just our singing, not just our words, but our whole selves, our mind, our intellect, every fiber of our being withholding nothing from God. The most reasonable thing we can do in light of God's mercies is to present our whole self reserving nothing as a living sacrifice to God. For this is your reasonable act of service. And so I want to put to you this morning, what about if what we call radical, God actually calls reasonable? What about if what we put in the basket of like, well, you know, that, that passionate like over the top, that, that's, that's radical and, and I'm not radical. But, but what about if what we term radical, God merely says is reasonable? If worship is a whole person experience, that's focused entirely on God, but that changes us, then perhaps some of the things we say, well, you know, that's not really me. That's not really my style. But perhaps some of those things even could be challenged. So to be able to say, do you know what, God? I'm withholding nothing in my worship from you. I will be a passionate worshiper. That The Bible gives us lots of different verses and scriptures that sort of show us the breadth of worship, and there's more than we can include, even in three sermons. But, but maybe just as a bit of an idea of worship being a whole person experience. Maybe some of the things we place into the category of radical, but that God might actually say, well, that's reasonable, right? Then here are some of these that the scripture gives for us. And we'll roll, we'll roll through them fairly quickly. So you'll be able to take photos of the scriptures if you need to. I'll be out of the way. But, but here's the first one. When the Bible talks about worship and in context for our worship, that the, us bowing and kneeling in worship. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That if worship is a whole person experience, Right? then part of our worship described in Scripture is for us to be able to bow down and to kneel before the Lord. There's a physical expression to the heartfelt desire in view of God's mercies. So the scripture talks about us bowing down and kneeling. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him talking about Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what were we singing this morning? How beautiful, how wonderful is the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so when the Bible talks about the physical expressions of our worship, it talks about us bowing and us kneeling, that in those actions, there is a demonstration of our gratitude towards God, to bow before God in reverence and respect, to make ourselves low, acknowledging that He is high, physical expression of our worship. And the Bible talks about music and singing. There's lots of passages in the Bible that we could reference for this. But for the sake of time, um, Psalm 95 verses 1 and 2 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Notice that, that there should be a joyful expression to our singing. Why? Because our hearts are filled with gratitude towards the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. We should be passionate in our demonstration of worship. Here's another one. The scripture talks to us about clapping. Psalm 47 verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. The Bible talks to us about the lifting of our heads as a demonstration of our worship. Psalm 3, verse 3 But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I love that. That in our worship, what are we doing? We are lifting our gaze, we are reminding ourselves who's the lifter of my head? It's the Lord. He's the one who lifts my eyes. He's the one who lifts my gaze. When when everything else is causing me to look down or maybe out or maybe inwards for the answer. No, no, no. He's the lifter of my head. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. He's the lifter of my head. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my three and four, our heads. Here's here's another one, uh, Psalm 63 verses three and four. Says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. That the Bible talks about in our worship, lifting our hands, that that actually is a physical expression of a heartfelt desire. That it's more than just ritual or, or routine, that, that there's far more to it than just that. Because even in the Psalms, I will praise you as long as I lift, uh, live, and in your name I will lift my hands. The Bible talks to us about dancing in worship. Psalm 149, verse three let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Lifting our hands, dancing, Shouting. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. You can start to see and get a picture for, for our worship having a demonstration of passion. That, that, that comes from somewhere deep. It, it comes from the view of God's mercies. But, but in light of God's mercies and all that God has done for, for us, that, that, that I would say, God, there is nothing that I'm withholding from you. Not the lifting of my hands, not the clapping, of, not, the, not the shout of my praise, not the joy of God. There's nothing that I'm withholding from you because I'm so passionate about what you've done for me. What about if what we call radical, God simply calls reasonable? Now, I know there'll be some people thinking, well, you know, the Scripture says a few more things. It's not just all like clapping and dancing and shouting and singing and bowing and kneeling. And that's true as well, that in stillness, the Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, be still. This is a song of worship. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations and, I'll, and I will be exalted in the earth. But The trouble is, is that for many of us, we allow the personal preferences of our worship to be able to define our expression of worship. And so we say things like, well, you know, I'm not a very passionate person or that, that wasn't really the, the, the church tradition I was brought up in. But, but when you understand that, that worship comes from a place of passion, right, in view of God's mercies, withholding nothing, because this is a reasonable act of service, then, then our worship ought to reflect the one that we're worshiping. Here's the truth. Why should our worship be passionate? Because it ought to reflect the one that we're worshiping. And so sometimes we have equated silence with reverence. That's not to do away with silence because the Bible says to be still and know that I'm God. That's not to do away with that. But to equate silence and reverence is the same as trying to equate volume and authority. Right? If you have to yell, you're probably not in charge. It's very quiet today in this church. Because the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And there's a place for shouting and there's a place for singing and there's a place for silence. But to equate silence with reverence is to totally miss what the scripture talks about when it talks about our worship. Right? Silence is not... Lifting my hands can be just as reverent as bowing my knee. Right? Because where does reverence come from? Reverence ultimately comes right here and then is expressed outwardly, right? And so reverence actually takes root in my heart and then is expressed. And so reverence could look like shouting and dancing. Reverence could look like stillness and silence. Reverence could look, reverence could look like a whole load of different things because if you understand where reverence comes from, then you understand that in view of God's mercies, I present myself a living sacrifice. That's actually my reasonable passionate worship. Here's the truth, that our worship ought to reflect the one that we're worshiping. So here's a question. If someone was to walk in and observe our worship, what would they conclude about God? What would it tell them about what he's like? If we're worshiping a God who is alive, then our worship should express the fact that he's alive. If we're worshiping a God who's powerful and dynamic, that then there ought to be something that conveys the fact that we're worshiping a God who's powerful and dynamic and we know that to be true. Wanting for joy, right? If that's the God, then we ought to, it ought to be experienced in our worship. That our worship ought to express what God is like since our worship is ultimately a reflection of that very thing. And so why do we have a conviction about not just the power of our worship, but about the passion of our worship? Because because we realize that our worship ultimately reflects the one that we're worshiping. You know, sadly, sometimes you walk into churches and you would swear that God is dead and distant. Because that's what seems to be the case. But we don't serve a God who's dead and distant. We serve a God who's real and powerful and close. He's the lifter of our heads. He's the one who puts joy in our soul, which goes way further than happiness ever could. Can we serve a God who is alive? I haven't convinced you yet. All right. I refuse to lead a church with anemic, passionless, directionless, morbid, wet handshake worship. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? sometimes you shake people's hand and you're like, oh, that felt weird. It's just wet and dead. If you want a a real handshake after this service, you need to find Ken Goodall. Ken Goodall's just sitting here, fourth last row. When you shake his hand, he doesn't even say anything. His handshake says, I'm a man of integrity. You think I'm joking and I'm being a little bit facetious, but I'm kind of not at the same time. Why? Because you can tell when someone shakes your hand like they mean it. Because they shake your hand and they look you in the eye and it's firm. It's not overpowering. It's firm. And it communicates something, doesn't it? Right? I refuse to lead a church. Right? And this is not true of us. Right? But I'm, I'm instilling a conviction for us. Right? This is not true of our worship, but I'm instilling a conviction so it never becomes the case. I refuse to lead a church where our worship is anemic and passionless and lifeless and feels like a wet handshake that afterwards you feel like you should have a shower or something. That felt weird. <laughs> because we don't serve a God who's dead. We serve a God who's alive. We serve a God who's powerful. We really believe this stuff, right? And because of that, in view of God's mercy and all that he's done for us, the very least I can do is reflect that gratitude in my expression of worship. And that's not about a style. And that's not about, well, you know, you need to lift your hands at this time. No, it, It's about, I actually don't care what anyone else is doing. I am passionately worshipping God because I'm so grateful to serve a God who cares about me, who loves me, who gave his son so that I could be restored to right relationship. And when I get a hold of that, man, sometimes it causes me to want to smile. Sometimes it causes me to want to lift my hands. Sometimes I shouldn't do it because I'm not very good at it, but sometimes it causes me to want to dance. And so because we are a church that values the presence of God, it means that our worship ought to be passionate. It ought to be vibrant. It ought to be heartfelt. It ought to be sincere. It ought to be alive. It ought to be Jesus-focused worship. And so I want to take us to two passages of Scripture today and illustrate the same thing. Because wherever you find passionate worship, you find another thing at work at the same time. Second Samuel chapter 6 this is what the Bible says. This is a really important moment for Israel because, because God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, is coming back to Jerusalem. And as the Ark is coming back, the story picks up in verse thirteen, and this is what it says: "And when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord, literally the presence of God, had taken steps, uh, had taken six steps, he, David, sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, and wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, and while he." And while he and all Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with the shouts and the sounds of trumpets, they're worshipping. And every six steps they take, they make a sacrifice and they shout and they worship. And they're like, all right, guys, ready to go again? Okay, next song. All right. And then they go again, six steps all the way from Obed-Edom's house, all the way to the temple. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. This is the girl who, when David killed Goliath, she was betrothed to David to marry. This is David's wife. And so she she saw from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That's interesting. That David's passion elicits from his wife despise. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household. Mark, how? daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked and in full view of the slave girls, his servants, um, as any vulgar fellow would. You can sort of see the passive aggressive, right? Some of you read the Bible like it's not real. That right there is the most realist moment in the Bible, right? You can, some of you, don't, okay, all right. Verse 21. David said, you can see, because David kind of retorts the same way. You're like, oh, there's some tension in this marriage. Um, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord, dear. Listen to this, verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls that you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I want you to see this, that David worshipped with passion. That David is dancing around and celebrating and with shouts of joy and with trumpets in the background, he is leading. the. He's the king of the nation, but he's leading the worship. And you begin to realize why this is so significant, because David, this is his second attempt of bringing the ark, literally the manifest presence of God, back into the city of David. The first time he went to go and do it, he was a bit flippant about God's presence. He didn't, he didn't treat God's presence properly. And so rather than doing like the instructions were that God had given for the ark, instead of doing that, they decided, well, we'll just, we'll just get it there our own way. And so flippantly decide, we'll, just, we'll put it on the back of a, a cart and get some oxen to be able to pull it along. And, and so that's what they're doing. They're bringing the ark that way. They should never have done it. The point is they're being flippant about the presence of God. We should never do that. But They're being flippant about it. And then as the ark is going along in the cart, the, the, the oxen stumbles. And, and just at that moment, that the ark looks like it's about to fall off the back of the cart. And, and one of the guys who's walking at the, back of the, at the back of the cart, he reaches out to touch the ark. And he instantly dies. And David realizes it's actually his fault because he's being disrespectful to the presence of God. This is the Old Testament. A bit of, but, but, but David realizes he's been flippant about the presence of God. And so afraid, he actually leaves the ark in another person's house. And then a few months later, he hears from some other people saying, hey, the house of Obed-Edom, like, he, he's like being really blessed. Like Clearly, God's presence in his home is, is doing something. And David realizes, I need to do this properly. And that's why the second time, they take six steps and then they worship. They take six steps and then they worship. And David is dancing with passion and excitement before the Lord. And so David worshipped passionately, but Michal despised with pride. If David worshipped with passion, then Michal despised with pride. Listen to what she says. As the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, she was watching from a window, and when she saw David, uh, King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And when, when he gets home, she, she immediately he comes home to bless his household, immediately he walks through the door. "Hmm, So you were dancing out in the streets today. You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to be respectful of your position. You, she wants to make David's worship about him, and David has spent his time making his worship about God. Can you see the difference? It's amazing. Wherever you find passionate worship, you'll find pride beginning to rear its ugly head. Why? Because pride is the worship of self. And the minute people start to make their worship about God, pride starts to get uncomfortable. Because pride ultimately wants to make everything about us. And worship, heartfelt worship, wants to make everything about God. And so she sees the passion of David's worship. And it wasn't because he forgot to make the bed in the morning. That's not the reason why she's upset. Right? It's not because he washed the colours with the whites. That's not the reason why she's upset. She's upset for one reason. She's seen his passionate worship and it's made her despise him as a result. That something of her own pride is getting in the way of her own worship. Where should she have been? She could have very well been a part of that whole celebration, a part of that passionate worship, but her pride wouldn't allow her to. Instead, she stayed in the castle, looking out from a high window, looking down on what was going on below her. She was totally missing the point. It's interesting how the scripture ends because when David talks to his wife, he says, I didn't do this before you or for the night. I did this before the Lord. I don't care what people think. Why would I care what people think? My worship isn't focused on them. My worship's focused on God. I did it before the Lord. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I think I was holding back a little bit. I actually think I'll become even more undignified than this. I think I've become a little more passionate than this. I've been working on some extra dance moves. This is how the scripture ends for this. Verse 23, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It's an interesting way for that story to end. Because the truth is she never ended up having any children. Why? Because an environment of pride cannot sustain life. When you make your worship about you, right? And you can do that in silence, and you can do that with singing and dancing. You can do that with hands by your side, and you can do that with hands in your air, hands in the air, right? But but here's the thing: when you make worship about God, the natural flow of that is passion. Because the thing I'm reverent about is God, not everything else. Let me show you another scripture that's like this. This is John chapter 12. This is when Mary anoints Jesus' feet. This is six days before the Passover. John chapter 12 and verse 3, this is what the Bible says. Then Mary took about a a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. That's interesting. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Can you see the exact same thing happening again? that Mary worshipped with extravagance, that, that she comes before Jesus and they're all reclining and she, she comes in and she, she takes this expensive perfume. It's worth a whole year's worth of wages. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet and she anoints his feet. And then she wipes his feet with her tears and with her hair. And in the middle of doing that, you can imagine in that moment, that would be a fairly breathtaking moment because everybody else who's there and, and, and a part of this celebration is like, wow, this is... This is significant. Notice what Judas can see. No one else comments, just Judas. Pfft. That's a bit extravagant, isn't it? So with a whole year's worth of wages. She should have given that money to the poor. And then John rightly points out, not because he cared about the poor, but because he liked to help himself to the money. Notice, Mary worshipped with extravagance and Judas, and Judas despised with arrogance that something about her passionate worship produced in him a response of pride. Not because he cared about others, because he cared about himself. See that again? When our worship is focused on God, there will always be an element of pride that wants to rise up. Why? Because pride likes to worship self. And when your worship is going on God, pride's not getting what it wants. It feels like the piece of the pie that it gets is getting smaller. And so... No sooner has David danced before the Lord than pride begins to rise up in Michael's heart. Here, Mary is worshipping extravagantly. And the minute she begins to worship extravagantly, pride begins to... Can you see what's happening? The truth is, in these stories, this is happening between different people in the same room. But for you and I, in our own experience, haven't we found that same wrestling within our own selves? We don't need to look any further than just us. That there are times in our worship where, where there's been moments of passion, and at the very same time there's a voice of pride that comes. Don't do that. What will people think? Don't do that. Why are you doing that? What, what, what? It's amazing how a passionate response of worship begins to elicit an element of pride, even in our own selves. And when you realise that worship's focused on God, but pride wants to worship itself, you realise the reason why. This is one of the reasons why. I have a conviction about us being a passionate worshiping church. Why? Because worship that's focused on God leads to humility. And where there's a lack of passion in our worship towards God, it gives room and root for pride. Pride is the very thing that keeps us from God. And humility is the very thing that leads us towards Him. And in a passionate worshiping church, you realize that one of the things that's constantly being dealt with by the Holy Spirit is pride. But because to worship God passionately leads us in a path of humility. It leads us away from pride, which would serve to seek itself. And so we are a passionate church. We are a worshiping church. We are a church that's focused on God. And so this morning, I want to give the worship team a chance to be able to lead us in some worship. And I want to encourage us this morning to express some passion as we do. Let me give you a few excuses that we make. One of the excuses we make is, well, I'm not really a passionate person. And that's a lie. You are a passionate person. Come on, we've just come out of the State of Origin series. A reminder again that Queensland understand what that's about and New South Wales wishes that they did. If they just had some more pride in their jersey. Um, it's a reminder, I suppose, that Billy Slater is a great football coach and Brad Fittler wishes that he was. The truth is, I watched the, the second game with a bunch of the worship team. I think I scared them, right? I wasn't trying to, but, but I think I did, right? Because you didn't have to tell me to be passionate about it, right? When you get down to the last 12 minutes and you're trailing, Right? And then Flegler gets sent off for something he should never have been sent off for. Right? And you're down to 12 men against 13. And you have no right to win that game. But then, but then a kick gets put in the air and Lindsay Collins chases that ball through. Right? He's a forward. He shouldn't have even been there. But that's because he's committed to the jersey because he's a Queenslander. If he was, Well, okay. That sounds like it. Sounds like it. it, sounds like it. Um, when Lindsay Collins jumps and takes that ball straight out of Tedesco's hands, you can almost see the tears beginning to run down Tedesco's eyes as he realises what's about to happen. And he offloads it to Cameron Munster and Munster dives over the line. No one had to tell me to shout. I was shouting. I jumped, I clapped, I threw my hands in the air. Oftentimes when I'm watching games like that, Elise says to me, she says, can you just keep it down for the kids? I'm like, no, babe, this is a part of their enculturating, Right? They're Queenslanders, and they need, to be able to, they need to wake up in the middle of the night to hear when Queensland scores, right? To be honest, is just pumped that the state of origin's over. She's like, I lose you for those, like, couple of months. Because I don't just watch the games. I watch every single interview. I'm doing all the, like, which people are going to be in the team, out of the team, all the match review stuff. I'm watching all of it, right? No one has to tell me to do that. It's because I'm passionate about it. Do you know, you and I are passionate people. Some of you, right? It might not be the state of origin, but it'll be something else. You're passionate about it. Here's one of my convictions. I refuse to be more passionate about a game than I am about God. Because when you really think about it, what am I getting passionate about? 26 sweaty men hugging each other to the ground. For 80 minutes. How can I be more passionate about that than I am about God? I refuse to be more passionate about the state of origin then I am about a God who loves me and saved me, right? I'm not really a passionate person. Yes, you are. You are a passionate person. You were created by God with a capacity for passion. You were created by God with a capacity to worship. You are passionate. I'll give you another example, right? Think about when you were dating your wife. You were passionate. Your trouble was trying to control those passions, wasn't it? Sometimes we say, well, I'm just just not a passionate person. That's not true. You are. You are a passionate person. You were created by God that way. Oh, you know what? I don't don't really sing. You know, men men don't really sing. You've not been to Suncorp Stadium. You get a few beers into some guys, they're singing. They'll even get on top of some tables and start dancing. Right? Get them a little bit inebriated. They don't care who else is what. They'll sing. Come on, you you look at some of the, the sporting stadiums around the world. Right? Soccer games throughout Europe where people are standing with their hands outstretched and shouting and cheering for the entire length of a game. No one has to tell them to do that. Why? Because actually there's a capacity built in us by a divine God that is supposed to long for something more significant. That's worship. There's a capacity for us to be able to worship passionately. We are passionate people but sometimes we allow pride to get in the way of our passion for God. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.